Well, I'd like to say a huge thank you to the drama team for uh, entertaining us and setting the scene every week. Appreciate your hard work, guys. Thank you very much. Um, today, I'm going to introduce you to Paralysed Pandora. Now, I tried to put Paralysed Pandora into Google and nothing much came up. So I found a couple of photos that I thought might capture the mood. There we go. Okay, there's paralysed Pandora. Pandora is paralysed. She's ground to a halt, stuck in the mud, in lockdown, meltdown, shutdown. I know I need to make a decision, but I just can't. What if that happens again? What if I mess up again? What if they let me down? What if I let God down? It didn't used to be like this, but over the years it's become harder and harder for paralysed Pandora. Everything has just become so complex. There are too many opinions out there, too many people to upset or offend, too many contradictory arguments. So Pandora runs problems over and over in her head until any clarity becomes a fog. Whether it's a question to be answered a decision to make or a plan to finalise, Pandora just goes around in circles. As a result, Pandora doesn't make much progress. She avoids change at all costs. The status quo is her best friend. In fact, any curveball sends shivers down her spine. If I don't step out of that boat, she says, there's no chance that I'm going to drown. She knows she's stuck but the fears are dug too deeply for her to see any way out. So Pandora has pretty much given given up any hope of ever getting close to the dreams that once excited her. Pandora's constant analysis has driven her to paralysis. So sadly today we're at the sixth and final week of our series entitled Chainless and Fearless. And the premise of this series is a, is a glorious one in, in that Jesus came to set us free. Amen. And that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave brought to us a tremendous liberty. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. And the inspiration, I guess, is taken from uh, Luke chapter 4, which was Jesus' ministry mandate which says in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Do you know you live in the era of the Lord's favour and the Lord is in the business of breaking people's chains and removing people's fears. And the tantalizing question I've tried to throw you before you is what would your life be like if you lived chainless and fearless? Wow. Yeah. That is God's plan for you. That is God's best for you. We all know that. We all take the box. We all put our hands up. We all know the theology. But if push comes to shove, do we really live in the reality of that? And what could it be like if we did? So that's the... The, uh, the task I've sent to ta- um, give myself to tackle over these six weeks. The six titles came pretty easy to me. 
Uh, we've worked our way all the way down the line. The first five to me seemed really meaningful. And in the feedback that I've had from people, that, that's proved to be the case. And I know that there are issues that every single one of us wrestle with on a constant basis. The sixth one, I just like the expression, paralysis by analysis. In my mind, I have, I have a cartoon picture of someone glued to the spot, unable to move, like a, like a deer frozen in the headlights. Like that old computer that you used to have when you gave it too much to do. Became overloaded, so it just packed in. Do you ever feel like that? Perhaps, at least in the case of that computer, there are just so many programs running at once that it just goes into lockdown mode. Not even Control-Alt-Delete can make an impression. And that reminds me, back into the dim and distant past, anyone remember the expression, syntax error? Oh, grief. Do you know, my, my current laptop doesn't even have a battery that I can unscrew and take off. Because you could do that and just plug it back in again and it just started from scratch. So the question is, is it possible to get stuck? Perhaps you've been planning the next move for years. Uh, you've been staring at that dream forever. But you just can't find the courage or the confidence to take that first step. Maybe you're the sort of person who runs everything around and around in your head, over and over, until you've found enough reasons that it won't work. Perhaps you're frightened of failing, or, or of disappointing people, or dare I say, your perfectionism has gone out of control. Maybe you're the sort of person who's terrified of trying anything new or different. Is the thought of change just too much? Particularly, perhaps, if you are the one responsible for making the changes. Do you know what? I'm convinced that people aren't frightened of change. Change makes things better. Unless your mind is trained to run wild, chasing all the possible negative outcomes. And I think, you know, it's possible for, for over-analysis to produce a paralysis. Paralysis means I just can't move. Or I just can't move forwards. Stuck. Frozen. Petrified. Of course, the word petrified literally means turned to stone. By over-analysis, I mean this idea of running things around and around, over and over in our heads, and refusing to act until it's 100% ready. Well, guess what? Nothing will ever be 100% ready. And so while analysis in itself is good, if it becomes over-analysis... The danger is it causes a form of paralysis. And you know, paralysis by analysis will drain you of faith and hope. It will drain you of peace and joy. 
Paralysis by analysis will keep you from your purpose. Paralysis by analysis will produce in you a frustration at yourself that you'll almost certainly eventually take out on everybody else. Now, now a paralysis by analysis is the extreme form. But you know what? There are lesser levels of this that affect our ability to make good decisions or to see things clearly and objectively or perhaps to take the faith steps that God is calling us to. So, so where, does, where does paralysis by analysis start? And I, and I think it's here. You know that there are certain fears and chains that try to take hold of us all. We've looked at five already through this series. But no, the danger is, if those, if those chains become too strong, if those fears become too f- powerful, the danger is that the internal defence mechanisms kick in and they cause us to just shut down. It's a bit like, you know, we talk about the, the, the fight or flight instinct. I think it's a bit like that, that overloaded computer that eventually just packs up and gives in. You know, the good news is that you can break free from that. Amen. You can break free from those chains. You can break fear free from those fears. Amen. You know, it's possible to bypass those defense mechanisms so you can become unfrozen and unparalyzed again. Just to spend a couple of minutes just looking specifically in this context at, at the sorts of chains and fears that we're talking about, that if they become too strong, they create these defense mechanisms and, and we, we sort of shut down. And there's just three of those fears that I want to look at today. The first one I'm going to call the torment of past failure. You know, it's possible for us to have past failures that, that haunt us and torment us. And if we're not careful, they, they, they hold us back and they drag us down and they even lock us up in a form of paralysis. Now, I'm going to cast our minds back to 2012. 2012 was the year of the London Olympics. And one or two of you were present at, at this point in time around the church. But we held a messy summer Olympics up at Dugdale in the playing fields on the other side of Bidford. And on that day, I have a, in my head a comic scene of our very own Darren Hudson lined up on the starting line of a mock 100 metres race with a bunch of really fast-looking kids in their lycra. Darren, however, has got a backpack full, he's got clothes, he's got wellies, he's got, I think he's got a snorkel and everything, and he's lined up. Anyway, the moral of the story was, if you go into your race absolutely covered and weighed down and full of baggage, actually, you can never get going. That's right. And so that was the story as we unfolded that the day and gradually Darren took the things off and it was a kid's thing and you had to be there, I know that. <laughs> but the, the verse I think that day was Hebrews 12 verse 1 which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight 
That slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So the question is, what are those weights that slow us down? Almost like a noose hanging around our necks, like a backpack full of all that nonsense and all that baggage. Another entertaining scene in my own mind was, was back in my teaching days, one of the challenges we had was we had little, we had the boys carried their books around in a backpack. The theory was that you were supposed to take the next three books that you needed for the next three lessons in your backpack. The problem is that requires too much of a degree of self-organisation for boys between the age of 7 and 13. So what they would do basically is they'd pack the whole lot into their backpack and carry it around with them. The net effect of that was it was practically killing them and giving them more back problems. We solved this by creating these little book baggy things that everyone carries now. On a one particular occasion, because I was mean, I invited one of the boys to come to the front and, and I said, let's have a little bit of a joke here and let's look and see what's in the bag. You can only imagine what was in the bag of this boy and what they'd been lugging around with them for the whole school year. But my favourite was was an Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) Now, this kid had been carrying around this massive great library book, which they weighed a ton, those things. This is pre-internet, everybody. Now you can just carry it around on here. Anyway, this child was carrying this massive great thing around with them all the time. But the moral of the story is that, you know, if we don't guard our hearts, we can find ourselves carrying around all sorts of weight and baggage. Like, for example, anxiety. You know, anxiety can be like a massive great weight on our back that just stops any form of forward motion. Anxiety simply is worrying about future things that we probably can't control anyway. Or or perhaps it's it's the fear of offending or disappointing people. And if that's the case, we end up tiptoeing around, desperately trying to avoid certain scenarios or certain people. Or perhaps it's just simply the fear of failure. I I looked that up, it's it's atikophobia, apparently. You know, and and essentially the fear of failure is the, the fear of experiencing again the same pain and the same shame that we experienced once before. And if we're not careful, as I said, that that will act like a weight on our shoulders, keeping us from all sorts of things. Fear of failure is a real thing. Many times the, the fear of failure comes out of some form of traumatic event. It may be that you have, and I'd say this with a bit of a a cheeky grin, it may be that you have kind of uncontrolled, obsessive or perfectionist tendencies. You know, we joke a little bit about OCD, and I realise OCD is a real condition, but you know, you can become so wound up about trying to do things absolutely right, so terrified of getting anything a tiny bit wrong, that you end up becoming locked down. And another part of this, it may well be that you have, looking back to last week, a a form of of unprocessed or unlingering shame in the back of your mind that you are desperately trying 
to avoid. Now, here's a reasonably obvious statement. It's a true fact. In our heads, we all understand that failure is a normal, everyday human occurrence. And in fact, failure can be a force for positive improvement. So, so failure is normal. It's the fear that is abnormal. Now, I, I know you guys are intelligent folks. Guess, guess where that fear comes from? Certainly doesn't come from God. God said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of love and power and soundness of mind. That fear comes from somewhere else. Because there is an, there is an adversary who wants to keep you locked up in your box. Who wants to keep you out of harm's way. That's why he loves playing on, as we talked about last week, he loves playing on those past failures. But again, the good news is that God wants to set you free. Okay, number two, I've got to speed up. You guys are slowing me down. (laughs) Number two is is chains of unrealistic expectations. You know, I think it's possible, you know, for us to set ourselves up for failure by aiming for impossible targets. And if we do so, we will probably never even get started. That might stem from the first one on our list, which is the idea of being crushed by comparison. If I'm trying to compete with that, that means I've got to do this to be impressive, and we set ourselves impossible expectations. It may be that this is rooted in a little bit of pride, you know, look what I can do. Or it could be because we've trained ourselves to to self-sufficiency when actually we we need to retrain ourselves to God-sufficiency. But uh, but all of that little combination can, if we're not careful, create the chains of unrealistic expectations. And I think, one, as as I pondered this, one of the reasons we're afraid of failing, I think, is because we've misdefined success. Let's ask this simple question. What qualifies as success in Jesus' upside-down kingdom? It's not fame and fortune. It's not status and significance. It's not power and popularity. It's not even accomplishing that impressive goal. Here's the, the definition of success that I felt stirring in my heart this week. Success is faithfully completing the last act of love that God laid on your heart so he could produce kingdom fruit. I'm going to say that again. Success is faithfully completing the last act of love, love being the key word, that God has laid on your heart so you can produce kingdom fruit. What is kingdom fruit? Galatians 5.22. It's love and it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and it's faithfulness and it's gentleness and it's self-control. So what are our expectations and are they realistic? What do we think that God is calling us to do? Are are our expectations based on what we feel that God is calling us to do? Or are they based on other people? 
are they based on, on our fears about other people might potentially react? And is that setting our expectations for us? If so, we may well find ourselves running round and round and round in circles, chasing shadows and getting stuck in the mud. Which leads on to number three, chain fear. Number three is fear of people's overreactions. Do you know what? There's, there's being considerate of others. There's being kind to others. And then there's the fear of man. Which the Bible describes as being like a snare or a trap or a cage. And do you know what? If you spend your whole time worrying about how everyone else will react, you can easily lose sight of the one you're supposed to be trying to please, which is your wife. I'm sorry, which is, which is God the King. Which takes us, sorry, I couldn't resist that. Which takes us round to, to what we've talked a little bit about before, which is the perils of extreme empathy. And now it's good to be empathetic. It's good to be open-hearted and compassionate, absolutely. But you know what? You can be overly sensitive to everyone else's feelings. Fe- feelings may shout loud, but they're not a safe or objective or reliable guide. I mean, after all, are, are we not called to make our decisions based on faith rather than on feelings? And when it comes to reading other people's feelings, the reality is you're probably not as good at it as you think. In which case, it's dangerous to give them too strong an influence over you because otherwise you may well find yourselves being chained up or stuck in the mud or backing off based on feelings that actually aren't true. You've just imagined them. So they can easily paralyse you. So, without wishing for a show of hands and with my best um, uh, uh, disempowering smile on, do, do you see yourself in any of those? Or do you see any of those in yourself? And I suspect the answer is yes to a degree. Which leads on to another question, which is, would you be able to run the race faster if you could lose from yourself some of those weights? Do you think that you would make better decisions more often, if those negative influences were disempowered. So what I'm going to present for you in the next 10 minutes or so is the escape route out of paralysis by analysis. And I'd say this, if you suffer from this on an ongoing basis, these points should really, really help you. If you don't suffer from paralysis by analysis, that then what I'm going to go through these next few points are a really, really good standalone lesson in how to make good godly decisions. Yeah. So, we're going to look at a very familiar verse, a foundational verse, one that I quote often around here, which is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. What a great verse that is. I tell you what, if you're ever looking for a rock to stand on, climb on this verse. 
In this uh, little passage, there, there are four clauses which leads to four points that I'm going to break down briefly. The first one is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Amen. Which leads on to a knock-on question, which is who are you going to trust? When you're stuck in mud, when you're paralysed by analysis, when you're making any decision, actually who or what are you going to place your trust in? Number two, and I'll break these down in a minute. Number two is lean not on your own understanding. And take those fears that are running around in your head. Take them captive at source, like we talked about last week. Number three is is submit to him, or other versions talk about acknowledging him. To which I'd say, what is God saying? In the middle of that situation, what is God already doing? And then the fourth one is he will make your path straight, or he will direct your paths from which I'm going to spin this question. What is the next single God-directed step? So that's where we're heading. A couple of minutes on each. The first one is, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Who are you going to trust? And if you're suffering from or prone to attacks of paralysis by analysis, the chances are you are inadvertently putting your trust in all sorts of things besides God. And if that is the case, first thing I say is please don't beat yourself up. This is not a beat yourself up kind of church. It's not a beat yourself up kind of message. The reality is, for each one of us, there are lots and lots of things and voices and ideas competing for our attention. that's, That's just 21st century life. But you know, ultimately, there should be just one overriding influence and that is God God the Father who sits on the throne of heaven Jesus his son who is the Lord of your life and God the Holy Spirit who is your counsellor and your source of wisdom and your guide so the question is who is going to have your trust is it going to be the government Is it going to be the weather? Is it going to be the economy? It's very easy to put our trust in these kinds of things. Is it going to be how your friends or your family or your colleagues will react? Is that what you're going to put your trust in? Are you going to put your trust in your own whims and moods and feelings and emotions? Because you know what? Placing your trust in variables and circumstances beyond your control... It's ultimately futile. Why? Because God is your rock. Because his word is the truth. Because his purposes ultimately will prevail. There's tremendous clarity in driving this stake into the ground. In God I trust. In him alone. In him above all else. In him with all my heart. And I tell you what, the first step away from paralysis by analysis, the first step away from that towards clear and positively, positive and godly decisions is the stake in the ground that says, I tell you, of all the things that I could put my trust in, I'm going to choose just one. And that's God. Amen. So number one, clause number one is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number two is lean not on your own 
understanding. Do you know what? It's so very, very tempting to lean. Particularly, as I've hinted, if you've been trained towards self-sufficiency. Do you know what? The enemy is very, very keen for you to lean on your own understanding. In fact, as far as he's concerned, the further away from God you lean, the better. Here's a statement for you. Fear decisions are rarely good decisions. I wanted to say never good decisions, but I thought if you found yourself face to face with a lion and you decided to run, that would be a good decision. But in essence, fear decisions are rarely good decisions. But you know what? As Christians, we've been called to make faith decisions. And faith, by definition, is a firm persuasion that God knows best. And you know what? If you you start leaning on those fears, the ones we've listed, if you start giving them disproportionate power and influence, then you risk analysis producing paralysis. So what's the route? The escape route is to take those fears captive at source. Again, back to last week. Don't give them any oxygen. Dig them up at the roots. Refuse any temptation to lean on your own understanding and lean back on God as quickly as you possibly can. The more we depend on God, the less we'll be derailed by our fears. It comes down to, is it going to be our opinions or his word? You're going to have to make that decision. Is it going to be your opinions or his word? Is it going to be your preferences or his purposes? Is it going to be your experiences or his promises? You're going to have a choice of leaning one way or the other. And this verse says, lean not, however tempting it may be. Instead, number three, point number three is acknowledge him. Verse six, in all your ways, submit to him. This asks, I think, in the middle of that complexity, with all those swirling facts, right in the middle of all of my analysis, what is God up to? That's a good question. What is God already doing in this situation? What is he saying? As I look, where is God leading? Those are great questions to ask, whatever it is you're analysing. Because this this little verse is is translated various ways, I actually looked up the Hebrew. And the Hebrew word that's that's translated acknowledge or submit is actually the word yauda. Y-A-D-A, a bit like Yoda. <laughs> Don't notice that before. Literally, this word means to know, to perceive, to see, to discern, discriminate, and distinguish. So the question is, in the middle of all this swirl, can you yowda what God is doing and join in? My next series is going to be on the prophetic, actually. I'm hoping that will help with with some of this. 
But the question is, can you cut through the fog to see the purposes of God? Can you step back from all the minutiae and the detail and the intricacies? Can you step back from that to see the bigger picture? Can you quieten the noise and the emotion and the hurt to distinguish the truth from the lies? The New Living Translation says, Seek his will in all you do. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. So folks, acknowledge him. Submit to him. Seek his will. And that will lead to good analysis. And it will lead away from that paralysis. And the last clause, number four, is let him direct your path. That's how the old King James says it. The NIV says, make your paths straight. New Living Translation, he will show you which path to take. And so in simple terms, I'd say that if you're feeling paralysed, if you're drowning in analysis, perhaps the best question is, what is the next one single practical forward step that I can take. Someone once said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Lovely theory. The reality is we all love to have our ducks in a row. Very seasonal, I know. We we all love to have it all mapped out, don't we? But you know what? The faith walk does not tend to work like that. Because God wants to know if we're prepared to trust him. And usually, you know, that means the next one step. And usually that means that you probably won't know steps two, three and four, let alone steps 98, 99 and 100. And if you're waiting for step 100, you'll probably stay waiting for a long time because God is calling you to the one next single step. No, there's a prayer that, I've, uh, that God has taught me to pray over the last little while. And it's very simple. And the prayer is, God, give me the grace for today. Yeah. And it goes something like this in my head. I may not know how on earth I'm going to win this war. But I can ask God for the strength to fight the next, fa- the next fight. So you may not have the answer to every single question, but you can ask God for the grace to take one more step. Psalm 23, verse 2, he leads me besides quiet waters. Verse 3, he guides me along the right paths. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So folks, simplify things down. Get back to the main thing. Fall on your knees and ask God to direct your next step. Do you know what? The thought of the 99 after that might just be too much for you. But you can take the next step. One.
Okay, uh, unparalyzed Pandora. To wrap up, I've got this picture here. Uh, deep. Not quite sure what it means, but anyway, you can have a look at that while I'm telling you about unparalyzed Pandora. Overanalysis used to leave Pandora frozen in paralysis, but at last, she's unstuck. She's learned to simplify decisions, to cut through the complexities, and to hear the voice of God. She's learned to disqualify so much of the nonsense that used to run right in her head, and instead keep her eyes fixed on Jesus, and to keep the main thing the main thing. She still likes her ducks in a row, but recognises that, by definition, the faith walk is going to leave uncertainties ahead. She started to look at her her past failures through a learning lens rather than a beat-me-up lens. Though she loves the people around her and respects their thoughts and opinions, she now cuts through that to ask God what he is purposing. As a result, she has taken significant steps forward. Finally, there is hope on the horizon. Many of the destructive cycles have been broken. She is no longer terrified of change or wind shifts or moving goalposts because she makes her decision from a much more secure place. And her relationship with God is much stronger because that is the direction she's leaning. Way to go, Pandora. Okay, I'm pretty much done. I'd ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind to come forward. We've got a few minutes just to ponder this and to respond to this. I'm going to put before you two questions, very simply. Two questions that I'd, that I'd invite you to take the Lord this morning as we just worship a little while. And question number one is who or what has your trust? So just that overwhelming sense. You know, God is worthy of your trust. We sing those songs, those great big God songs. We sing about God's love, Martin, remind us how God sees us through his eyes. You know, all of that is designed to remind us that God is worthy of our trust, that we really can trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And so the question I'd like you to ask right now, in the situation you're in, in the circumstances you're facing, or perhaps in wider terms, who or what do you trust? And I just encourage you this morning just to take that thought to the Lord. Number one. Number two, it very simply, is, is in the current situation that you're in, that you're facing, that, that's vexing you right now, you might be stuck in the mud, you might be paralysed by analysis, you might just be facing a decision question for you to ask of the Lord today is what one next step are you calling me to? Not number two, not number 12, number 101. What one next step are you calling me to? Because he is the one who will lead us and guide us. He is the one who will help us to see. I invite you to stand if that's come to pray. Uh, and then we'll, we'll set this thing up. Father God, I want to thank you so much that you are worthy of our trust. That you are good. That your love for us is perfect. That your faithfulness is great. That your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we would be set free if we just came to that realization, that revelation. 
Lord, would you drive that deep into our hearts. Sink it deep, Lord, today. That you are worthy of our trust. And if, Lord, at any stage we're tempted to waver, if we're wavering right now, Lord, would you remind us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, not to lean on our own understanding, to, in all our ways to acknowledge you, recognising that you will make our paths straight. Amen. And Holy Spirit, I'd say this, for every single one, if they're facing issues, decisions right now, Lord, show them, I pray, by the power of your Spirit, open their eyes to see that one next step that you're calling them to. Lord, we give you the next few minutes as we respond, as we open our hearts to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.